You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Hey, hey, how about that? I love hearing that every week. Hope you do too. It's so good. Yeah, welcome again to Mosaic Church, whether you're here online or in the room with us today. We're in the middle of a series, as you can see, called For Such a Time as This. We're looking at this incredible piece of what's called Hebrew narrative. It's the book of Esther. So let me do two things real quick before we get going into our time of God's Word. Let me bring you up to speed on where we are in our series. And number two, who you're going to be hearing from in just a moment because you're in for a treat. All right, so we're in this series in the book of Esther. So far, we've, we've seen that the, 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 the people of God, the Jewish people, uh, the story takes place roughly 480 B.C. as God's people have been uh, brought into captivity in the Persian Empire. And while they're there in the Persian Empire, we saw that how King Xerxes deposed his queen. The search goes out for a new queen. <laughs> he deposed his queen, sorry. Deposed his queen, thank you. Search goes out for a new queen. And lo and behold, who should it be? Who should be chosen but a lovely Jewish orphan girl? She's beautiful, and her name is Esther. But she hasn't revealed her ethnicity to the king or the other people in the empire. At the advice of, someone you're going to hear from today, at the advice of her uncle who raised her, a man named Mordecai. And while she's there in the palace, she discovers, the people discover there's been a plot hatched in the palace to wipe out the Jewish people. And that brings us to where we are today. And it gets you right there in the heart of the story is someone you're going to hear from in just a moment. He's a deacon here at Mosaic, someone that most of you, if you've been here, you know and love. His name is Dr. Terrence Green. And Dr. Green is an associate professor of education, leadership and policy at the University of Texas. So if you say, man, am I about to get taken to school today? The answer is yes, you are. And so Terrence and his wife, Brandilyn, is an amazing woman, a leader in her own right. Uh, his wife, Brandilyn uh, and Terrence have two daughters, one-year-old, a four-year-old. Uh, he serves here in our, our TGA ministry. He's an incredible person. He's an outstanding communicator, as you're going to hear. And I can't wait for you to get to hear from him. Would you please give a warm welcome today to the Dr. Terrence Green, everybody. Give him a hand, yeah. Well, well good morning, and thank you, Pastor Morgan, for that. Uh, good morning. Uh, let's try it again. Good morning. Got to talk to a brother now. <laughs> uh, before we begin, I just would like to thank Pastor Morgan and Carrie and John and Galen, uh, the elders of this house, for the opportunity to share God's word with you. It isn't something that I take lightly, but I, I hold it deeply and dearly to my heart. So thank you all very much. Um, let's pray, and then that's getting God's word. So let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you. I acknowledge your Holy Spirit that you are here. Lord, you know, I know that without you, I can't do this. So I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your anointing, Lord God. I thank you, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to perceive and to understand what you're saying to each and every one of us uniquely today. Ask that you would touch us afresh and touch us anew, that we won't leave this time with you the same way that we came in. So we covenant with you in advance to give you all the glory. We'll give you all the honor, and we will give you all of the praise. And Lord, I pray that through this word, 
that you will be glorified, the people of God will be edified, and the enemy will be horrified. And so we give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen, amen, amen. Well, thank you all. We have been in an amazing sermon series on the book of Esther. Uh, Pastor Morgan and last week Carrie have been doing a phenomenal job walking us through the text in Esther. And today we pick it up in Esther chapter 4. Now, as I think about Esther chapter 4, um, I'm reminded of something that happened to me a couple of years ago. So two years ago, I had to fly to Denver, Colorado for, for work. And, you know, I fly pretty frequently. I enjoy flying. Actually, one of the things that I want to do one day is get my pilot's license. So I was excited to be on this flight. And from what I could remember, I don't recall the weather being bad or anything. It was like a typical day. So we on the flight. The flight is going good. I got my headphones in. You know, I'm bopping to my music. I got the, uh, uh, there's a movie on and the seat in front of me in the back. And so the flight is going great. It's great as well. Until about 30 minutes into that flight, we began to experience extreme turbulence. Everybody say turbulence. I mean, that plane was shaking to the right, and it started shaking to the left, and it'll go up, and then it'll like nosedive down and all around. And so the more turbulent it became, I started praying. I started praying under my breath. I was commanding the angels. I was pleading the blood of Jesus. I was doing everything that I know, pulling up all the scriptures I knew. But the turbulence got worse. It's like the more I prayed, the more turbulent the flight became. It got to the point where it's so turbulent that people now started panicking. They're screaming. They're shouting. People were saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. You can feel everything, people moving around. So I went from praying under my breath. I started praying out loud. I didn't care who heard me, what they thought I was crazy. I'm like, we finna crash up in this mud. I'm, if I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down professing Jesus. <laughs> but at the height of the turbulence... I found myself not only feeling afraid, but I began to feel angry. I was angry because in the midst of all of this shaking, in the midst of all of this turbulence, in the midst of us not knowing if we were going to crash or not, the pilot, the one who had a view and a perspective that we didn't have, the one who was in control of the plane, the one who knew the end from the beginning was completely silent. The pilot didn't say a word in the midst of all this turbulence. Now, I know the pilot was there because we made it safely, thank you, Jesus, to Denver. But even though the pilot was there, the pilot was silent. Why do I tell you this story? I tell you this story because even in the midst of your turbulence, God is there even if you can't locate him. He's there. And this is where we pick up and enter the text in Esther chapter 4. There is extreme turbulence going on in Persia, so much so that the Jewish people are facing complete annihilation. 
And so the question becomes, if God is there in the midst of our turbulence, even when we can't locate him, then how might we in those times respond to God? But then secondly, how might God be responding to us in the midst of turbulence? And with that in mind, today, I want to talk about the turbulence. And to do that, I want to highlight two truths that we find in Esther chapter 4. The first one is mourning to God, which is our response in times of turbulence. And number two, God moving through you. All right, we pick the text up in Esther chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, and it reads as such. When Mordecai learned of all that had happened, everybody say, had happened. He tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes. And he went out into the midst of the city and he cried with a loud and a bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gate for no one could enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and in ashes. So verse number one says, when Mordecai learns of all that have happened. All right, so what did Mordecai learn about? In chapter three, Mordecai learns about a particular type of turbulence that we call, I'm a social scientist, I'm a researcher by training, we call this oppression. The Bible actually calls it this, but it's oppression. That's their happening. What is oppression? Oppression is when you have prejudice against a group of people, plus you act out on that through discrimination or disenfranchisement, plus you bring in the institutional power structure of an organization, of an empire to inflict that domination. So how does that happen here? I'm glad you asked. In Esther chapter three, Haman and Mordecai, they go back and forth. Haman is, is someone who's in the Persian government. He wants Mordecai to bow. Mordecai like, look, bro, I ain't bowing to you. So Mordecai doesn't buy. And so instead of Haman taking it out one-to-one on Mordecai, Haman now takes it out on the entire Jewish people. So in other words, he prejudged an entire group based off of his experience with one person. But it wasn't just that. He acted out on it. So Haman goes to the king and says, King, we need a decree and a law to destroy. Verse 13 says, to kill and to annihilate. The word annihilate is the Hebrew word that literally means to exterminate. So now he's acting out on this, this prejudgment and this prejudiceness that he has towards another group. But that ain't it. He now invokes the institutional power structure of, of, of the empire, of Persia. He brings in a law, so now the king is signed a decree. Now we got the legal system. And he's going to pay the people who are going to bring the annihilation against the Jewish people, and they're going to bring that money back into the king's treasury. So not only in the institutional part do we have the legal part, but now there's economic incentive to destroy and to take out a particular group of people. And so chapter 3, verse 15 says, the city was now in complete confusion. It was completely perplexed. 
And this is where we now pick it up in verse number one. When, when, when this is all learned by Mordecai, verse one says that he tears his clothes. He tears the garments of Persia. And he exposes himself to a degree of nakedness, which is representative of him connecting and drawing out to God. But not only that, he puts on sackcloth and ashes. This is profoundly important because in Jewish tradition, sackcloth and ashes were universally recognized as indicators of mourning and grief. But when you combine the two together, it signals or it indicates the most the, the deepest, the, the most severe, the vastest form of grief and the, 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 the vastest form of mourning that was possible. And the Bible says in verse 3 in chapter 4 that as all the Jewish people heard this decree throughout all the 127 provinces, they begin to cry, they begin to wail, they begin to, 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 to speak out to God, but it also says that there was great Morning. The word morning is the Hebrew word avel. Avel simply means to lament. So get this, get this, get this. Out of this 127 provinces, the, the, the Jewish people, they hear about this, this impending death. They hear about this, this, this impossible situation because in Persia, if you wrote a law, it, that's, that's it. It ain't no reversing this. This bug gonna happen. So they're facing an impossible situation. And what do they do all throughout the empire of Persia? They lament. They lament. Lamenting is a form of prayer. Lamenting is a form of worship. You can't read the Psalms without seeing lamenting. There is a whole book in the Bible Jeremiah wrote called Lamenting Lamentations. So it's a form of prayer. It's a form of worship. But it is a form of communicating with God in the, with such honesty with such candor, with such authenticity, where you talk to him about your deepest pains, your deepest sorrows, your deepest struggles, your deepest hurts, your deepest even inaccurate blaming of him. You bring all that to him and it falls on the ears of a loving God. Lamenting allows me to bring my full emotional self in my communing with God, but it also creates a type of a spiritual posture that allows me to see God in a dimension that I've never would have seen him before, but I saw him in the midst of all this pain and this suffering. I thought I knew something about lamenting. About three years ago, we were at home, my wife Brandilyn and I, and um, I was laying out on the couch, and I remember exactly where I was. I was laying, and I had my hands behind my head, just stretched out on the couch. And I never forget, Brandilyn runs out of the restroom, and she has, you remember the Kool-Aid smile? Remember the, the red Kool-Aid, the big old, the big cheese, you know, from the right ear to the left. And she was smiling. She was grinning. So I knew some good news right hand. I was excited, like, come on, what's up? to her brother tell me don't be keeping it all to yourself so she says 
I'm pregnant. We're expecting. And so this was like, oh, yes, 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 because we already had one child. You know, we wanted to grow our family, and it was, it was a beautiful moment. And the thing that made this even sweeter was that her sisters, who, who was like two or three years younger than her, she was also pregnant at the same time. So it was just lovely. They were talking about, oh, the cousins are going to be so close. Oh, we're going to do this when they get older. Oh, yeah, da, da. It was just like they were talking every day, all day about this. And it was just a glorious, beautiful time. And then one night, I remember it just like it was yesterday. It was a Saturday evening. I was in the bedroom, and she came in there, and she said, just something doesn't feel right in my body. Um, so we, we called the doctor. The doctor was like, well, I'm sorry, but I think you're having a miscarriage. So we got together. We agreed right then. We began to pray to God. We began to worship. We worshiped the entire night. We got out all of our healing People reading the scriptures and healing. We're listening to all of that. Uh, we go downstairs. We take communion. We're declaring God. We're declaring his word. We come into church the next day right about here, and we come up and we get prayer about it. So we got the prayer of agreement. And then on August 22nd, one day before her birthday, we found out, that she lost the baby and that she miscarried the baby. And to say brokenness, to say, I, how do you feel? I felt numb. It's like I couldn't feel. And I remember us just crying and crying. And I would cry literally every day for a month, just driving to work, crying, driving back, just crying. And at some point, my tears and all of my crying is switched over to me getting ticked off. Can I just be honest with y'all? I, 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 I got ticked off at God and I'm like, what's up, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord God who healeth thee? What's up with what Moses wrote in Exodus that none shall miscarry? Now listen, I know enough Bible to know that God didn't do it. But it's like you getting jumped and your homeboy, your homegirl right there, they ain't beat you up, but they sure didn't do nothing about it. That was my idea. The guy, I'm like, what's up? You, I know you ain't do it, but where were you? And I went, I went in. I gave God my resume. I gave my life to you when I was 13 years old. Do you know the ridicule that I experienced towards the last end of high school for you? And then when I got to college, I couldn't go to no parties because guess what? When everybody was partying on Friday, I was teaching Bible study for you. And then everybody stopped coming. But you told me to keep coming and I keep coming and I'm teaching for you. Two people sitting in the front. Ain't nobody coming to hear me teach. And then you forgot after that, I went to the jail and I preached for you at the jail. All of this stuff started coming up. And what I really wanted to say was, you owe me. You owe me. I've given my entire life. And you, in a a day before her birthday, the lament, the pain. 
I'm, I'm logical, I'm intellectual, want none of that. It wasn't no answers, everybody trying to give me, I ain't want to hear nothing, want none of that working. And I would come in here, right over there, and we would be worshiping, and I would just be crying. Just crying. Now that I know what I know now, is that crying in the midst of that pain, that was lament. That was mourning from the depth of my being where it was broken. It was a cry out to God. And then there were some weeks I would come in here. I'm like, I wish you would make me worship. I ain't worshiping Jack. Talking about you good. How good are you? Make me. God was right there. And he met me in all of that pain. And I'll never forget I was driving back from San Antonio, so I'm coming north on 35, and I just passed over the Slaughter Lane exit. And I've never done this before. I just broke. I started beating the steering wheel. I'm hitting it. I'm like, where were you? I can't, I'm upset. I'm beat. I'm dry. I might be getting an accident. I'm beaten. But that was so cathartic that God met me in that moment. I'm saying, where are you? Where are you? And I felt, I felt God say, I've been here the whole time. I'm as angry as you are. I'm as sad as you are. I'm touched with the feelings of your weaknesses. And through this ongoing wrestling and mourning, what I discovered is that I began to see a dimension of God that is so paradoxical. It is so oxymoronic because all of this time my faith had been predicated on the things that I knew for sure. I was certain about the death, the resurrection, and the burial of Christ, and I'm still sure of that. But I was also now handling this ambiguity, this tension. I was reading one thing and experiencing another thing, but yet... Yet, in the midst of all of these questions, in the midst of all the ambiguities, in the midst of not knowing it all, my faith actually got stronger because I still believed even when my experiences were contrary to what I read. And it let me know that God had already been there, that God was already there, and it expanded who he was to me. But that was a function of lamenting. It was a function of being honest. It was a function of going in all of my brokenness and all of my mess and not saying, oh, yeah, I'm okay. And no, I wasn't okay, but he met me there. And the question I have for you, when you experience turbulence, will you lament before God? Will you mourn before God with everything going on in our country today? The continuation, not brand new, the continuation of structural and systemic racism, of anti-blackness and anti-black racism. Will you mourn with people who mourn? Will you lament with people who lament? Because through our lamenting and our mourning in hard times, it's a response that we could have for God. But that is not it. Not only can we respond to God, but God responds to us. And this text shows us two ways in which he does that. He wants to move through you, but he's calling 
and he wants to touch you. Let's go back into the text. So Exodus chapter 3, verses 4 through 9. Now I'm going to give you the TGV version. This ain't the KJV. This is the TGV. This is the Terrence Green version 2020. So in verse 4, Esther's eunuchs and maids, they go to Mordecai. She gets word of it. And she sends to Mordecai a garment to put on. And Mordecai's like, I ain't putting that mess on. He refused it. Mordecai's like, look, we finna die. It's an impending death. Ain't no reason for me to come up there, have a conversation with you, to put on a clean. I'm communing with God in all my morning. Don't tell me to take. Oh, she, she, it was almost like she was telling him to take off his morning instead of joining him in it. Meeting him in it. And he like, I refuse that. Don't bring that to me. They go back and tell Esther. Esther's like, all right, go figure out what in the world is going on to him. So they go back to Mordecai. They're like, Mordecai, Esther's saying, look, what's going on? The queen really want to know? Yeah, I got it right here. Here go the decree that they said they're going to annihilate all of us. I'm explaining to you, take that to Esther. And he said, while you're at it, I know how much money they're going to make off of the destruction of our people. He said, take that to her. And then he said, command. Oh, he's commanding the queen. He said, command Esther to go in and make supplication and to plead for her people. We pick it up in verse 10. Here's Esther's response to him. Esther says in verse 10, then Esther spoke to Hatak. Hatak was the one like going in between delivering the messages, one of the servants. servants. Then Esther spoke to Hatak and gave him a command for Mordecai. I can see Esther now like, hold up, bro. I know we family. I know you raised me. You know, she didn't want back to his, his, his family name. She wasn't calling him Mordecai no more. She said, Mo, Morty, let me tell you something. And she started commanding, I'm going to command you. I can see it now. She went in on Mordecai. She commanded Mordecai. Don't get it twisted. I'm the queen. She said in verse 11, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called, he has but one law. Put all to death, except, except there is this little minute loophole, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called. I myself have not been called. She said, I myself. I have not been called. Everybody say called. She says, I have not been called to go into the king these 30 days. So they told Mordecai Esther's words. So essentially Esther's like, look, don't be telling me to just bust up in the inner court of the palace. You know what could happen to me? Mo, what you trying to get me killed? Plus, he ain't even called me. It's been 30 days. I can't just go up in there. You know what happened to Vashti, don't you? But she says this, I can't go because I haven't been called. 
I can't go because I haven't been called. On another level, if Esther think the king of Persia is going to call her and invite her in to disrupt this oppressive decree for her to take a risk for the people of God outside of the palace, she's going to be waiting forever. So could it be that she still needed a call, but the call she needed to step out and to take a risk and to use what God had given her would not come from the king of Persia, but come from the king of kings? Could it be that the king of kings spoke to Mordecai, spoke through Mordecai to speak to Esther. Could it have been that God didn't necessarily speak to her vertical to vertical? She didn't get like this burning bush like Moses. She didn't get this whole hookup that Samuel got in the sleep. Say, this is me, Samuel, wake up. She didn't get all that. But what if what she got was, was somebody else's vertical that came to her horizontally? Yeah. All right, let me break this down a little more. I didn't tell y'all this when I was on the plane. I didn't even remember this until I was like praying about it. All right, in the midst of all that turbulence, I remember, one, I was thinking, I'm about to write Delta and see who this pilot is to get this pilot fired, but I was thinking something else. I remember sitting there looking and I saw the flight attendant hang up the phone. Now, the phone that the flight attendant was on was a direct connection to the cockpit. How do I know? Because as soon as the phone was hung up, the flight attendant picked it back up and said, the pilot has turned on the fasten the seatbelt sign during all this turbulence. We're going to suspend all your crackers, all your, you know, your, your juice, your water. We ain't doing none of that right now because it's so turbulent. But she said, buckle up and see you in Denver. Now watch this. The comfort that I wanted from the pilot, the call that I was looking for from the pilot, the words I was looking for from the one who knew the end from the beginning, the one that was in control, the one that was flying the plane, had given it through the flight attendant to give it to me. Ah, that which I had been looking for was already being sent out. That which I needed for comfort had already been given. The pilot used the, the, the flight attendant to deliver that message and that which I needed had already been given, but I didn't want to hear it from anybody but the pilot. I didn't want to hear it from the flight attendant. Flight attendant ain't flying a plane. You in the cabin like me. What you going to tell me? But here it was. Could it be that the call that Esther needed didn't come from the king of Persia, but it came from someone who was experiencing the oppression And through that oppression, they moved out to encourage, moved out to provoke, moved out to challenge Esther to take a risk for the people of God because God had put her there to do his work. And my question to you, who's challenging you? Who's encouraging you? Who's provoking you? to take a risk for those outside of the palace and to realize 
that you've been put there, not because of your own volition and you all of that, but because God is placing you where you are. So not only does God call, but we go back into the text. God touches. In the midst of turbulence, God touches. Let's go back into the text. Verse number 13. And Mordecai told them to answer Esther. Do not think in your heart that you will escape the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. Now remember, Esther had been hiding her ethnicity. She had been hiding that she was Jewish all this time. He said, look, don't, you in this too. Don't get it twisted like if we, we all finna go down. So he's, he's challenging her, pushing back. He's saying, um, don't forget that, verse 14, for if you remain completely silent, if you remain completely silent, if you remain completely silent, at this time, relief and deliverance will come from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time of this. Now, this phrase that we see in this translation that says, for you have come, is also translated at times brought, or you have been brought. This Hebrew, these three words is one Hebrew word, um, nigag. And what nigag literally means, it means to touch or to lay hands on. So in other words, a couple of things here is happening. Mordecai is reminding Esther that she is where she is because the hand of God is upon her. He is reminding her that she is where she is because God has touched her. Uh, And I believe the text has a truth in it for us that we are where we are because God has touched you, that God has anointed you, that God has laid his hand on you, that God has extended his grace to you, and you didn't get here on your own. It was the Father's doing And what we learned from this is that God can use us wherever we are. Mordecai was outside the palace. God using him. Esther's inside of the palace. God is using her. God can use you right where you are, whether you're at a home, whether you're in a university, whether you're in a school, whether you're in a church, whether you're on the streets, whether you're in a business, whether you're in the arts, wherever you are, God can use you because his hand is upon you. And in this moment, we see the hand of God coming on her, the grace of God being extended to her. And this creates sort of a transformation of boldness for Esther. Look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, now Esther's talking. All right, go. Go. Are we moving? Now, go. She says, go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Are they coming back connections to their God? Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My mates and I will fast likewise. Oh, now, whoo, she has been been pushed and encouraged by Mordecai, but now she's lining up her vertical to make sure now she's hearing from heaven. Like, what do I have to do when I go in here to the king? And she says this, I'm going now, y'all. I'm going now. And she said, if 
I don't know for sure, but if, if I perish, I will perish. Why? Because in that moment, God had extended his grace to her. And now she's extending the grace that she got from God back to God's people. And this is the call. He is calling us. He is touching us because he's graced us and touched us and laid his hands on us for such a time as this. And what is that time? This time was a time of intense turbulence and oppression. And in fact, her name, her Hebrew name literally is Hadassah. Hadassah means myrtle plant. So in other words, she was planted. She was strategically planted. And God has strategically planted you where you are. But she went with, she got a squad. Nah, we're going to fast together. You may have to act individually, but you can be prepared collectively. She got her squad. She's fasting to God. And so God wants to move through you. He's calling. He wants to touch. And then lastly, Esther was the perfect person to go in and to intercede and to stand between the people and the king and to bring those two together. She was 100% Jewish. She was 100% royalty. But the one coming after Esther many years later was 100% heavenly royalty and took on 100% of your humanity to bring you and the Father together as one in his holy community. And now what we see is that Jesus now, we point to Jesus who took oppression, who took our hurts, who took our sorrows, who took all of our suffering as our pain, not just for us, but as us. And through that, he gives us the liberty as he extends his grace to become a co-laborer with him to do his will in the earth. Jesus, your great intercessor, is working with you speaking to you in times of turbulence. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your people. Lord, I ask that you would just make clear to us how you're touching us, how you're speaking to us. I ask, Lord God, that you will make clear the provocations, the encouragings, the pushings, that you would strengthen us to step out and to take risk, to put it all on the line with you for your people like you deal with us. And help us throughout this time as we experience turbulence, as we lament and mourn and cry out to you, Let us see you and know you're there. We give you the glory. We give you the honor. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.